Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, everybody else, if you have a Bible, we'll invite you to the book of John. That's the fourth gospel, the fourth account of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, fourth book of the New Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, we're going to be in chapter two. So John uh, chapter two. Anybody ever had a, a crazy day uh, at church? Like funny stuff happens sometimes, right? Uh, it, I mean, you know, if you've been like, if you're up here or you, you know, lead some meeting or something and there's kids in the room, like you will ask a rhetorical question. But the kids don't pick up on a social cue that it's a rhetorical question. Therefore, they answer back and inevitably it's like piercingly true, even though you didn't want it to go that way. Uh, that, that's, that's something that happens fairly regularly. Uh, there was an incident not too long ago, a fairly famous preacher in America. He was preaching and uh, gesticulating with his hands and Siri said, are you okay? Do we need to call emergency services? Because they thought he was having a heart attack because all of the stuff, that's pretty hilarious. Um, at the college, a couple of weeks ago, I, the church that I came from was also the church that I attended when I was in college. Uh, I was there because they had their centennial celebration, really fun. But while I was in college, I had this big worship night. And um, uh, this, is, this was a first for me. Uh, but uh, the, the worship center uh, at the time was kind of uh, in the round there. And then had a balcony kind of in the back there. And uh, they had to pause the worship event and say, uh, for all of you dancers, will you please come downstairs? Because the people dancing in the balcony were like making the balcony where it was m- moving, like structurally unsound at the time. I'm not sure. So they had to bring all the dancing people downstairs during worship. That was, that was a thing. Um, uh, another time, this is when I was uh, on staff, uh, the worship leader was really into the song and they had a choir and one of the choir members, like older choir members, like passed out and had to be laid down. Well, he's all in the song. Like he doesn't know what's going on. And we, it was, we had brand new technology, um, an AED. It was like right when they were first, like, so we went and got the AED and like hooked him up. It starts talking. He's like, what's this? Oh, oh, I see that this is going on. He's like, but we're mid song. What do we do while they're working on it? We'll keep singing. Everybody sing along. And so they're singing. And in the meantime, we're up here. I'm trying to take care of this gentleman and realize that he's also on a metal riser with the AED. We're like, Let's go ahead and get him on the floor. You know what I mean? Like on the, so that was a thing. Um, eventually the worship leader did stop and just pray, which was more appropriate maybe than finishing the song. I don't know. It was kind of funny. Uh, the, the funniest thing that's happened to me here that I could think of, um, this is 10 or 12 years ago. We had uh, first Sunday lunch, like every first Sunday we had lunch is a thing. And um, uh, we were doing something over here and I was somewhere right about there, just kind of in front of that front row right there. And somebody had dropped something. So I bent over to, uh, uh, pick it up and the pants that I had had since college could not manage that movement. <laughs> and so you hear, and I'm like, yep, sure did. So knowing that this has happened, not to embarrass anyone, including myself, I quickly untuck my shirt. I go up these back stairs, across the baptistry, down these other stairs, and directly to my office. True story, just as quickly as I could. Somebody stopped me right out there and said, hey, you going somewhere? Yes, yes, I am. I'll be back later, you know. 
As funny as those things are, we ain't ever had a day like happened at church in this particular passage. John chapter 2, verse 13. If you're using the Bible app, feel free to um, grab that and open it and uh, find our live event. If you need a Bible that you can put in front of you, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passovers of the Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is the big celebration for them when they noted that God had delivered them from Egypt and had brought them um, to uh, the place that we now know is Israel. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. We're not quite sure what he made it out of, reeds or leather or something. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. So it was good enough to drive cattle. Okay. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what it was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered him, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build the temple. Will you really raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, um, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Uh, Just two words today to um, lock in on out of this particular particular story. The first word is the word disruption. Disruption. It's the word disruption. Um, why? Because whenever Jesus comes on the scene, life as usual cannot continue. This is true um, throughout this text. In John chapter 1, uh, he calls his disciples and they drop stuff. Like they rearrange their entire lives in order to follow him. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, life as usual cannot continue. In John chapter 2, they're at a wedding. Um, looked at this last week. Tyler did a great job with it. Uh, they're at the wedding and uh, they run out of wine to, uh, and uh, they, they make, Jesus makes the wine. When Jesus is on the scene, life as usual cannot continue. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus is going to have the conversation with Jesus that is going to change his world. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, um, same deal. I I am offering you living water. And she's like, I've never heard anything like this before. And her world gets changed. And we can just keep going throughout the gospel. Um, When Jesus comes, when, when he shows up, life as usual, it just simply cannot continue. It's not because he's being mean. He's not in there flipping tables because he's angry. And, and, you know, he's just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or, or somebody burned his toast or whatever it may be. It's not because somebody said something bad about him on social media or anything like that. It, this is not him being mean. It's not him being capricious. It's so that we believe. Because here's the deal. Jesus, um, you can take Jesus and reject him. You can take Jesus and ignore him. But what you can't do is say Jesus is inconsequential. Like, he just doesn't matter. Here's the thing on that. He just refuses. He refuses to live in that, uh, uh, with that particular description. He steps on the scene and he demands some version of a response. Jesus, you're nuts for doing this. Well, maybe. But, but you're not ignoring him or saying he's inconsequential. So, his target for you and for me, what he's after here is a life that is marked by eternity and not just existence. He doesn't want us to just exist. He wants us to step into the kind of life that he um, is living and wants to live through us. A life that is stained by eternity. Disruption. 
one of the things that gets disrupted first. I mean, we're only two chapters in. One of the things that gets disrupted first is religion that gets in the way. Jesus shows up to the temple. Okay, so we got to do a little bit of temple. All right, everybody have in your mind, picture this, this massive temple complex. At the very heart of it is the Holy of Holies. One time a year, the high priest goes in to make atonement for the sins uh, of the people. One time a year, just in that little particular cube. Outside of that space um, is called the holy place. There's the uh, bread and the lamp and a couple of other things. Like this is the a special, special place. Outside of that place is kind of the broader place where people worship. It's where the um, altar is where the basin is, where you can wash and so forth. Outside of that place is the court of the Gentiles. This is the place where um, people who aren't Jewish can still come and worship and and be a part of this. Here's the deal, uh, is that these particular folks in in Passover, it says uh, in verse 13, Passover of the Jews was at hand. During this kind of three-week run-up, this is where um, they kind of set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. So that if you were coming from far away, uh, you, you live three days walk away, you didn't have to drag your oxen or your sheep um, with you. It, it's the same principle that you and I have. Sometimes we, we're like, hey, did we get everything? Did we pack everything for the trip? Uh, it, I don't know. I think so. But if not, there's a Walmart there. Everybody travel like that or is it just me? I travel like that. We're like, yeah, if, I mean, if worst comes to worst, we'll just go to Walmart and pick it up. It's way easier to travel without the sheep than it is with one if you're walking three days. So you'd come up to the temple um, complex, you, you would uh, uh, buy a sheep for the sacrifice, you would pay the temple tax, um, which had to be this particular coin because it was made of uh, uh, particularly pure silver, Tyrian silver, and you had to do all of this. This is what, well, during that three-week run, the, the uh, vendors, if you will, set up their little booths to do so. Josephus, the historian, said in one particular Passover uh, uh, season, 254 thousand lambs were sacrificed a quarter of i mean this is a huge thing huge and one of the things that jesus steps in and disrupts in that moment is a religion that gets in the way of people encountering god because these vendors set up in the court of the gentiles not outside of the temple complex but actually in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles. So if you were not a Jew and you were coming from some other place, you rolled up from Antioch in Syria, you're like, hey, I don't know everything, but I know this. In Jerusalem, there is a temple to a God who claims that he is God over the entire, entire universe, the entire cosmos. And my life is not as it should be right now. I am not right. And I heard that there is a God who may be able to help me. I need to go to Jerusalem to seek God. And you roll up during Passover season and guess what? Let's just pretend. Okay. So, um, there's a particular person sitting down way back there. We're going to let them be the single person who's seeking God and coming to pray. Okay. So that person back there is all right, but you are the cattle section. You are the sheep section. You are the bird section and you are the money clinking section. Okay. Now, if everybody made that, we're not, we won't do this. Okay. I thought about it, but we won't, but some of you, dang it. No, no, we're not going to. But if you made your respective noises all at the same time and poor Chad back there sat down to pray, how would that go for him? Poorly. Why? 
Because the structure, if you will, the noise, if you will, the stuff, if you will, that we are doing would get in the way of him seeking God. Church family, if there's a moment where religion gets in the way of people finding Jesus, he will disrupt that religion. It's not all bad. It's not all terrible. I'm not up here taking shots. None of that stuff is true. None of it. Forms and these sorts of things, they matter. And the things that we do matter. But if there is something that stands in the way, he will disrupt it. In particular, two things. The, The noise of church. The noise of church will get disrupted. Again, cattle, sheep, birds, coins, These are not the sounds of church. That's why Jesus kicked them out. I I did a little survey. What what are, though, the sounds of church? Well, how about this? Uh, Singing. I mean, legit singing. Like good old honking, just honk it off, make a joyful noise. Are you in tune? Doesn't really matter. Just let it rip. Singing. In particular, we've been challenging ourselves along the way, and I'm going to say it again. In particular, men, men, you sing. Sing. Laughter. Declaration and teaching. Kids. No kidding. We got ready to pray at the end of the 830 service. And then, hello, baby, just about right there. And uh, you're like, okay, let's bow our heads and pray. And he goes, perfect. That ought to be the sound of church. That ought to be the sound of church. Weeping. Because we ought to be the kind of place where the brokenness of our lives can find itself some expression and then people come around us to encourage us to hold that burden with us. That that kind of sacred trust of the mourner who gets held as they mourn. Um, Silence. Prayer. Conversation people speaking a blessing over one another. That's the sound of church. That is the noise of church. Not not economy. Church. Which leads me to the second thing, the the business of church. Now, um, we're going to have a church conference tonight where we will do some organizational things as a church family. So, like, those things matter. But people come along, they're like, well, isn't the church a business? No, it's not. It's a church. It's different. Is there an organization? Yes. Um, are there certain business things that we um, have the opportunity to do because we are structured? Yes, absolutely. That's the case. But we're not a business. Why? Because businesses value profit. We value people. The product of a business is in order to make a profit. The product uh, of a church is people. We want to see transformation come. Um, the values that we have are delivered to us by the one that we follow. We don't go on a corporate retreat to discover those values. They're delivered to us instead. Um, and, and the practices that we um, are consistent in are not innovative in this sense, uh, that we're trying something new all the time in order to increase our market um, uh, share. But instead, the practices that we have are intentionally interruptive. Like, I just want to ask this question. Has anybody ever had the thought, dude, if church wasn't on Sunday morning, I would have a serious sleeping day. Some of you are like, yes. Four hours ago, I had that exact same thought. 
we intentionally practice these things, things like gathering together, things like um, uh, communion on Sunday. We intentionally practice these things because they are interruptive. They remind us there are things more important than the things that we have on our calendar or the desires that are manifesting themselves right now in us. We have practices that are not just interrupting, but also the point of them is to instill some things. Like we intentionally practice certain things in order to instill. It's the reason we have groups. It's the reason we, again, we practice communion on the first Sunday um, of every month. We, we, we want to instill these kinds of things um, in, uh, in our lives and in the, the generations that follow. It's the reason why. I'm going to just hit this one more time. It's the reason why. When we sing, it's good for not just the kids to sing. It's good for the whole family to sing. Um, We intentionally interrupt, we intentionally try to instill some things, and we intentionally try to ingrain those things in us. We want them to become part of who we are. It's how God shapes our character, part of how he shapes our character. So this disruption, it's an invitation. And what is it? It is an invitation to reprioritize worship. Jesus says there are some things in the way that need to get out of the way. Here's a whip of cords, and I'm going to make sure that those things are out of the way. Why? Because there might be somebody who shows up who desperately wants to seek God, and we don't want those things to be in the way. And so in their lives and in our lives, that disruption that he brings is an invitation for us to reprioritize worship. Not our preferences, not uh, some functional thing. That we are. It is a definition to reprioritize worship. In the words of Matt Redman from the early 90s, to get back to the heart of worship, where it's all about Jesus. What, what would that look like? I'll just give you these two words to ponder for just a moment. Uh, n- number one, uh, it, it would look like being present. To reprioritize worship means to be present. When the people of God gather, we're present, we're here. And not just physically in the room, but mentally um, in the room. Not just uh, um, it kind of in our bodies, but we bring in our whole selves to it, to, uh, um, to, to worship. As we gather, we're bringing our whole selves. We are present. Listen, I'm glad, for those of you who are watching online, I'm glad that you're watching. Believe me, it's way better in person. And, and one of the things that we have to kind of get over after the past couple of years is to remind ourselves it's way better in person. Christianity is literally an embodied religion. Jesus took on a body. So we have to be together as the body. So, so be present. And secondly, participative. It like we are not the audience, like you are not the audience. The people who are sitting in the chairs next to you, they're not the audience. God is the audience. And so for us to gather in worship isn't to say, okay, do we like the song? Okay, Frank, did you sing the one that, okay, how's, how's he doing? He's been off a couple of weeks. Is he like going to preach weird or is it going to be okay? Like we're, we're not, we're not the audience. God is the audience. And so we show up, we're present and we're participative. It, we, we participate, okay? Disruption is an invitation to worship. Here's, look at verse 17. Here's, here's their response. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So they're, they're thinking about this, reflecting on this, thinking about the scriptures, and they're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember this. It's actually Psalm 69.9. Here's the rest of it. Zeal for your house has consumed me. 
and the reproaches of those who have reproached you have fallen on me. That's, that's a, uh, a uh, hint to, it's a pointer, if you will, um, to the Messiah. Like this is the thing that Jesus is, is pointing to when, when they're reflecting on this, when, when he steps in and makes this move and is disruptive um, to the religious kind of economy of those three weeks there uh, in Passover. He's stepping in and he's saying, there is something bigger and better than what you are doing right here. And what is it? It is me. It is I am the Messiah. Zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproach of those who reproach you has fallen on me. That is a pointer to him declaring himself the Messiah. It's a pointer to him being willing to bear our sin, to bear our um, uh, brokenness in order to redeem us. The the second word I want to transition to here, like Jesus disrupts and he does so in a way um, that we understand that we're pointing, all of these things are pointing to him. The, the second part is um, that, that arrow, that big arrow in Psalm 69 there, it's pointing us to Jesus. Why? Because he's telling a different story here. There, there is a big, big difference in what Jesus is doing. It's different. What, what would that look like? So the Jews said to him, what sign do you, um, verse uh, 18, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple. Three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, what, what, what? Okay. First of all, it's Passover time. So Jesus is talking about, he's offering himself. He's picturing Psalm 69 there. He's picturing this. There's an atoning sacrifice that is made, not just an annual sacrifice that is made. That that is a different story. Jesus is stepping in and saying, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Like I'm the one who's going to bear this. You're not going to have to do this. And instead of showing up year, um, year one and year two and year three and year four and all the way down the line and showing up and offering your lamb at the temple during this particular time, instead of doing that over and over and over again, annual sacrifice, annual sacrifice, annual sacrifice, Jesus comes along and he says, I am the atoning sacrifice and it's going to be enough. And you think to yourself, like in this moment right here, you think to yourself, I mean, okay, but I don't show up at a temple every year to make a sacrifice. You're right. I mean, if you do, that'd be a little weird. But if you, I mean, like, if you're, you're right, you don't. This is what it sounds like. Um, God, I really, really, really need your help. And so I'm going to show up at church and I'm going to put a little extra in the plate and I'll make sure and clap when Frank says clap. And I'm really going to need your help. Or this one. God, here I am again. I've blown it again. But this time, I really mean it. I am never, ever, 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 ever going to do that again. And to prove to you that I'm never going to do that, I'm going to show up to church. Start and turn it over a new leaf. That's what I'm doing. Is that more familiar? The invitation to trust Jesus and to experience the kind of life that he wants to bring to bear in us is an invitation that says the sacrifices um, that we could make are, are done. They, they are finished. They are, they are fulfilled because the sacrifices that Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus has made, it was enough. 
We, the people of God, are not making promises to God as if we're going to um, uh, fulfill those sacrifices. Okay, God, I'm really going to do it this time. We, the people of God, the people of Jesus, we have put our trust in him. And the reproaches of those of us who reproach him have fallen on him. His sacrifice was enough. When we talk about the difference, this is part of what we're talking about. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus is enough. The second part that's different is that we're talking about here the worship of a person um, versus the worship of a place. Destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Took 46 years to build the temple. What are you talking about? Verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. The worship of a person versus the worship uh, worship in a place. we, I mean, you can just imagine people um, in, in their time, like this is a massive complex. It is vital. Um, it is central. It is imposing like the whole temple complex. It, like all of this, all of this is a big deal for them. And Jesus is saying, listen, the whole thing can go away. Why? Because I'm the new temple. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, if you want to come to encounter God, where are you going to come? Not to a place, but to a person. You're not um, just having a moment there where you're standing in a particular sacred locale. You are now encountering a sacred person. That's the difference. We don't have to go to a place. We get to encounter a person. Now, if you um, take that on and Jesus speaks that to you and you really embrace that, a couple of things are true. Uh, Number one, you can expect... um, and some folks who are kind of more religiously bent um, to get a, a little flabbergasted about this or even angry. Like they don't want you to run in the Lord's house, y'all, okay? Like this kind of thing. But our focus is consistently on him. The, the, the place, the altar, well, let's, let's back way up to the court of the Gentiles. When we think about the temple, the court of the Gentiles is there because Jesus wants us to be the kind of people who say, if you're far from God, there is a God who is in pursuit of you and has made space for you to encounter him. And the place inside of that where the sacrifices are made and the washings are done, we come to the temple because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and it is by him that our sins, though they be as scarlet, are washed and made as white as snow. And we step in to the holy place where the bread is. He is the bread who has come down from heaven. Where the lamp is, he is the light of the world. And ultimately into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant, the very presence of God, and they make atonement there. And listen, what he's saying all along is tear the temple down. Tear it down. I'm the new temple. This whole, all of this stuff has been pointing to me the whole time. And guess what? 40 years later, that's exactly what happened. The Romans came in and destroyed the place. It's why we have a western wall instead of a whole temple complex. Worship of a person instead of a place. And lastly, just quickly, it, it is a settled issue for them. Look at verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It is a settled issue. It is not a lingering fear. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes doubt creeps in and we're like, oh, goodness, did we bet on the wrong horse here? Like, I'm not sure this is working at this point. It's a settled issue. What else could take the disciples, this ragtag bunch of knuckleheads, who missed it and missed it and missed it and missed it. 
and turn them into world changers. A settled issue instead of a lingering fear. Pastorally, can I just talk from my heart for just a moment here? Fear has been the primary emotion over the past three years. Is that fair? And so much so that I think some of us have bought into this that we're not sure how we could live without it. That's why we leave our TVs on. Church family, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. We have nothing to fear. An election cycle will come and an election cycle will go and Jesus has been raised from the dead. An economy will happen one way or the other and Jesus has been raised from the dead. Diagnoses come and Jesus has been raised from the dead. I am not making light or trying to minimize any of the things that may very well uh, like come. Listen, but the place where we put our feet and the solid place where we find to stand is not in any of the other things that might incite our fear. What we know is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It makes it a settled issue. We don't have to have a fear that hangs around us. We don't have to. He's been raised from the dead. And that makes it different. The the difference here invites us to recalibrate our lives. It's the reason why we gather week after week is because we want to recalibrate our hearts to this story that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that Thursday is going to be okay. Why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Week after week, we instill this in our lives. We ingrain this because it recalibrates us to these realities. It's a different story than the world is telling. And because of that, because of that, we can live differently. Real quickly, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When he saw the signs, what he was doing. It's real easy to believe in God when you like what he's doing. Is that fair? That's what was happening here. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he knew himself what was in man. The the kind of flimsy faith that says, hey, you know what, God, as long as you're doing with uh, uh, exactly what I think you ought to do and with aligns with my priorities and preferences, as long as you're doing that, man, you got me. I'm in. That's not worship. That's convenience-based living. That's asking the question, does Christianity actually work for me right now? The invitation is to live past that kind of flimsiness and say, God, I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and I will bet my very life on that. I don't know which one you need more from him this morning. Maybe you need him to disrupt you. Maybe you need him to remind you that there is a different story being told than the one on the news. Whichever you need, I pray and ask God to speak that word to you. We'll have a moment here where we're going to respond and um, sing this um, 
sing the song that most of us know. But I just, I want you to think about, like, do you need him to disrupt you? Or do you need him to remind you that there's a difference, a different story that he's telling? Let's pray together. Um, Father, I'm grateful for this, this kind of moment, these kinds of moments um, where there's some challenge here and you speak to us and you push us a little bit and maybe poke us in the chest a little bit even in order to get our attention. And I pray for any single person in here. I mean, I pray for every person, but any single person in here um, who needs one of those things to happen in their lives, even maybe just this morning. God, would you step in and flip a table if you need to in their lives, disrupt them? Or would you remind them that there is a much, much better story? There's a much, much better story than the one that's being sold to us. You've accomplished it. You've done it. And for us to to get in the flow of that means the transformation of our lives. So please, um, help us now. Spirit of God, would you speak? Do what needs doing in this moment. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.